0: Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together.
1: Well, good morning. Good morning. I have a bit of a froggy voice this morning, so you'll, hopefully after a few minutes of the frogginess, it'll just blend into the air as if hearing from the Lord. But my name is uh, Wes this morning, pastor of men's ministry, missions and outreach. And I get to share with you this morning, go Chiefs. I'm from Kansas City. So see some Chiefs fans out there. Um, I do think that the 49ers have a great defense. So we'll see. It'll be at least fun, Fun. right? We're glad to to be with you this morning. Um, We're in a series called the one thing. And it's a study in the book of Hosea. And what we're doing is we're looking at what it means, the love of God, what that should mean to us and what that could mean to others. The different facets of the love of God, like a diamond, the diamond has different reflections and, and shapes, and as you look at it differently, you understand the diamond differently, just like we understand the love of God differently. The more we experience it, the more we talk about it, the more we study it. In conversations with Jay uh, this week and, and my wife and then listening to sermons from John Piper, Judah Smith, Bob Thune, Ravi Zacharias, and then just you know, life experience has taught me to understand God's love differently as we interact with him and as I interact with other people. And, it's, and I actually read the book, Redeeming Love, in the last few weeks, um, and it's, it's a historical fiction book that kind of tells a modern day, actually in the late 1800s story of the book of of Hosea. And I partly read it because so many people have said, you need to read it, it's really good. But I know there's maybe half of the people in this room, when they hear the book of Hosea or the study of Hosea, that's kind of where they go in their head is this modern day uh, story. And in this story, there's this woman who as a child was neglected and severely abused and finds herself in prostitution, and this there's a man that's called to marry her, and as she is unfaithful to him, he continues to be unfaithful to her and <clears throat> it is brutal I mean I'm sitting at Starbucks at the 101 of Franklin Wright and you know, actually I was listening to it, not reading it, and I'm just like weeping as I'm typing on my computer like you know it's like, oh my goodness this is but it's it's brutal like Humans can be horrible to each other, just just abusive and ugly and messy and gross. And at the same time, what we're challenged to do is understand that God's love is so far in the other direction, how amazing and beautiful His love is for us. And so as, as brutal and gross as things can be, they can be just as far, infinitely far more beautiful because of God in our life. And so through those conversations, sermons, uh, the book, Redeeming Love, commentaries, different experiences that I've had, I've asked the Holy Spirit to just speak to us through our passage this morning. I'm grateful to be sharing with you. Jay has eloquently walked us through uh, the first part of chapter one through verse seven of chapter five. He challenged us to look at God's perfect love and how that perfect love is, should play itself out should work in our lives. And so far, we've seen judgments, we've seen a marriage from Hosea to Gomer, who is his prostitute that he remains faithful to, and we've seen historical context. So to review, just real quickly, put it on the screen because I'm a bit of a visual learner. Hosea is a prophet to Israel in 8th century B.C. Okay, and sometimes if you're like me, when you hear A prophet to Israel in eighth century BC you go well that was for a very different time you know that was for then but what we know is that God is the same eighth century BC as he is now and humanity is the same and so this is not only just instruction to Israel from Hosea and God but this is also to us God is trying to get his people's attention that's what this book is about. He's trying to get his people's attention. So he sends Hosea to the upper kingdom here that we see on the screen. And at the same time, Amos is also a prophet to that same area. They overlap for about 10 years. God sends two prophets to that area saying, hey, hey, pay attention to me. Turn to me. And he also, during the same time, so all three of these guys, Hosea, Amos, and Isaiah, he's in the lower kingdom, are trying to speak to God's people, calling out for their attention. This was a tumultuous time during the 8th century. The world was was literally changing all the time. There were wars, political upheavals, governments were going crazy, religious and spiritual chaos. And in the midst of all that, God's people and the people who weren't God's people were trying to find quick fixes. They were trying to find the easy way out, the low-hanging fruit, and not doing the hard work of turning back to who God is much like our world today. So Hosea marries Gomer, and he stays faithful to her as she is unfaithful to him as a symbol of us turning away from the Lord, and yet God remaining to be faithful. God fights for us, and he fights for his people. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go through read our, our, the entire passage we're going to talk about today, and then we'll, we'll look at it a little bit closer. So let me pray. Lord God, thanks for bringing us here. Uh, Whether we have froggy voices, or uh, we're excited about Super Bowl parties, or um, whatever we have going on, Lord, I just pray that in this moment, uh, we are able to hear from you, hear from your spirit, and experience your love in maybe a different way today. In your name, amen. So I'm going to invite my buddy, Daniel Comstock, up front, uh, and he's actually going to read our passage today. It's actually Hosea 5, 8, through chapter 7, verse 7. So it's like two chapters long. And he's going to read the passage for me. And there's two reasons why he's going to read it. One, he has this awesome, commanding voice. So it's going to be great. And two, my voice is not that today. <coughs> or, or ever, really. So he's going to read our passage, and then we'll jump into it. Thanks, Daniel.
2: Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at Beth-Avon. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim, and like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness, and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria, and sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off, and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But, like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evil doers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed when I restore the fortunes of my people. When I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed and the evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely and thieves break in and the bandits raid outside. But they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them. They are before my face. By their evil, they make the king glad, and the princes by their treachery. They are all adulterers. They are like a heated oven, whose baker ceases to stir the fire, from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with mockers, For with hearts like an oven they approach their intrigue, all night their anger smolders. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are as hot as an oven, and they devour their rulers. All their kings have fallen, and none of them calls upon me.
1: Show your appreciation to Daniel. So some of you might be really, really disappointed in the passage that was just read. I know I'm extremely disappointed in it, actually, because Daniel only got to read the word whore one time. <laughs> and last week, Jay got to say it like 15 or 20 times. So I'm like, that's not fair, Jay. You did that on purpose. I kid, obviously. I kid. So that's some, there's some harsh words in there, right? It's a little uncomfortable to hear things like God saying to his people... I'm going to be like a lion to them. That's at least uncomfortable. There's imagery that is in here. Just listen to some of these things. Warning horns, military battle cry, killing, power, selfishness, wrath, and lots of it, oppression, trampled, sickness, sores, allies, kingship, lions devouring, alone with no rescuer, guilt, and misery. <clears throat> And those are just the first eight verses of the 26 verses that Daniel read. That's the imagery in just those eight verses. What are we we supposed to do with that? What was Israel supposed to do with this, these harsh warnings and judgments against them? What are we supposed to do with it? Well, I believe it's uncomfortable by design. I think it's uncomfortable by design. I think Jay's been saying that, and I believe it. When I, when I interact with my son, he was, Bryson was two, and he loved poking at the outlet in the wall. He loved finding wherever the outlet was, the plug was, and he would just try and stick a finger in there, a toy, a fork, whatever it was. And obviously, we didn't allow him to do that. So in our home, we covered all the plugs. Well, we were in someone else's home that didn't have a plug, and I see Bryson out of the corner of my eye reaching with a fork towards this outlet. And so I yell, no, and I run over, and I kind of hit his hand, and it startles him. He hears me yell, and, and he kind of, you know, the, the fork drops out of his hand He looks up at me. and I'm like, no, no, that's bad. That'll hurt you. And I'm trying to explain it, and I'm like, no, we're, we're done with this today. So I had this brilliant idea. I walk him over to the next plug, and I said, reach out, touch it. He looks at me, and he looks at the plug, he looks at me, and, and then he starts to reach for it, and I hit his hand. I took him to the next plug. Reach for it. He looks at me. He looks at the plug. Kind of sheepishly, so he's like, okay, I think I get what's going on here. He reached for it. I hit his hand. I took him to every plug in the room. And I didn't hurt him, but it was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable by design because what I was keeping him from was far worse than what I was revealing at that moment. And I believe that's what God does for us. I believe God is speaking to us and to Israel uncomfortably for a purpose so that he can keep us, he can keep Israel from the greater pain, from that greater thing. Bryson did not understand when he was two why I was smacking his hand away from the plug. He obviously gets it now. He understands it now. When we're reading these words or we're having uncomfortable moments in our life or maybe even devastating things in our life, we may not understand exactly what God is doing or allowing us to go through, but he always has a purpose in it. The uncomfort is by design, and it's to draw us closer to him, to keep us from the pain that is worse than the uncomfort. So, but the end of verse or chapter 5, verse 15, kind of sums it up with why it's worth, why this uncomfort is worth it. It says this, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my faith and in their distress earnestly seek me. God desires relationship with us above anything else. And if he uses our uncomfort, he will do that to bring us to a place of relationship with him. You see here all these harsh words in chapter, end of chapter 5 you get to the end and he says all this distress is so that you would earnestly seek me so how do we have this right relationship with god you may say to yourself well i've i've been saved i accepted christ in my heart so i have a right relationship with god or you may say i've i, I go to church you know, on a fairly regular basis i must i have a right relationship with god right i read my bible enough. I pray when I can. I have a a right relationship with God. I I tithe and, you know, give and I, I serve. So I must have a right relationship with God, right? But if God's people who are called God's people can turn from God, so can we. Sometimes when we turn from God, it's really painfully, we're painfully aware of it. We know it. We feel it. We don't care. We still turn from God. We do that at times. I do that at times. And it's, it makes me, it sickens me. It's gross. There are times sometimes though that we, we're turning from God and we actually, we don't really know it at the moment because it's subtle little things that come into our lives. These little things, these little, you know, I'm gonna just let this happen and think this thought and do this thing and before you know it, you've, you've gone from this way to over here. God's people turn away from God. We turn away from God. So if there's anything that's more important to you than your relationship with God, then you do not have a right relationship with Him. If there's a commandment that you're not willing to submit to, then you don't have a right relationship with Him. If God has told you to do something and you're not doing it, or you're waiting to do that thing, then you don't have a right relationship with Him. If He's asked you to stop doing something, and you're not stopping or you're going to stop later, then you're not in a right relationship with him. Of course, when I say you, I say I, it's, this is we. If knowingly or unknowingly, I have put something or someone or some role or some desire or some job, whatever, at the top shelf of my life and have removed God off, even if, even if I put God on the second shelf, or even if you put that person or you put that thing on the same shelf, with God we're not in a right relationship with him if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior if you've rebelled from him you're not in a right relationship with him if you depend on yourself more than you depend on God you're not in a right relationship with him if something else brings you more joy more fulfillment and more peace than God does then you're not in a right relationship with him if that's you if that's me then God is calling us back to himself. No questions asked. He's anxious to be back in a right relationship with us. And you know, I'll let you in a little secret. This is all of us. Whether it's a moment of weakness, maybe you're in a season of weakness or rebellion, or you're, you for years and years and years, you said, God, you can have 90% of me, but there's this 10% I'm gonna hold, I'm gonna keep it over here because you know what that's this is what I'm gonna control this is us and this is this is the uncomfortable ugly and we will see the beautiful side of this is when we have these moments or seasons or stages or years in our life when we're not in right relationship with God this is telling us that we're the whore. that's the that's like the, the message of the story it's really uncomfortable But that's what's going on. This is a really fun topic, Jay, thanks for uh, allowing me to talk about it today. It's good, I need it. I like when he sits over there too, it's fun. But the the good news is that all this discomfort is by design. So how do we, how do we turn back from God? If God is anxiously awaiting, he's calling out to us, he's trying to grab our attention, how do we come back to him? in right relationship. I believe Hosea 6, 1 through 6 shows us. To read it again, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, he may bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord, his going out as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do o, do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, o judah your love is like a morning cloud like the dew that goes early away therefore i have hewn them by the prophets i have slain them by the words of my mouth and my judgment goes forth as the light for i desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of god rather than burnt offerings so according to these verses i believe there are five things that we can pull out That help us get back into a right relationship with god i'm going to just call it simply true repentance it's not partial repentance it's not just a little bit of repentance it's full and complete it's true repentance i believe there's five things that we're saying true repentance is not in these passages and what true repentance is so we'll compare and contrast these the first one is this true repentance is not getting rid of guilt and pain because when I read these first three verses, you know, come let us return to the Lord. He's going to heal us. He struck us down. We'll bind us up. He'll revive us. Like, I'm thinking, like, this is good. Keep going. Like, this sounds great. But God sees through it. He sees through their motives because at the second half of verse 4, he says, your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. He sees their motives. He sees that it's, it's about avoiding suffering and guilt and pain, and it's not about him. We can tend to do that. We can, they, this is something, they, they put a timeline on it. They even said, you know what, after a couple of days, three days you'll raise us up, this, this will be great. Go ahead, God, go ahead and take care of that. They're fighting to get rid of suffering or guilt or pain, and they're not fighting for what they should be fighting for. True repentance is not getting rid of guilt And pain it's unity with God if our aim is God then that's true repentance if our aim is to get away from the suffering then that's not true repentance our aim is the Lord a unity with God true repentance is not getting rid of guilt and pain it is unity with God true repentance is not meeting God halfway this is classic I mean the, these guys are, are talking about okay if, if we just come over this way a little bit we'll we'll seek you a little bit and you'll you'll meet us you'll you'll meet us halfway. We'll give a little so you can give a little. This is the classic like God I'm in trouble. You know if you get me out of this, I will be a missionary in Africa. <laughs> I will give more money to the church or charities. You just you just help me here and, you know, we're going to make a little exchange. You know, this for that, quid pro quo, I don't know, something's going on in the politics right now. There is there's an exchange that's happening here rather than true repentance. So true repentance is not an exchange. True repentance is simply change. It's not an exchange, this for that. It's, it's just simply change, a turning back God the third one here is true repentance is not telling others the first three verses come let us return to the Lord for he has torn us he may heal us he has struck us down they're talking to themselves about the choices they're gonna make the repentance that they're going to do the turning that they're going they're talking to themselves pastor Jack Miller says people today use priests pastors rabbis psychologists teachers parents, and devout friends as a substitute for Christ. True repentance doesn't mean that I tell my friend. It's that I talk to God about it. Now, I may end up telling my friend, so that may be part of the process, but true repentance to the Lord is a vertical relationship and it's not horizontal. There's no substitute for communion and relationship with our Father in heaven. Uh, Number four, true repentance, and I'll read both of them. True repentance is not dealing with symptoms. True repentance is attacking the root cause. If there's an area in your life that needs to change, it needs to tweak, you need, you know, the Lord's calling you to do something different, add this or delete that or whatever the case is, you need some sort of shift or change, okay? I would encourage you to reflect on that thing. So for example, Let's say you're not as much of a truth teller let's say you lie and you exaggerate a little bit when you're talking to different people i would argue that the lie is a symptom yes you should change and be more honest yes you should stop lying but my guess is if you reflect and you dig a little bit deeper there's a root cause to your lie there's a reason that you're lying and that's that's what true repentance does true repentance digs down and goes you know what I think I'm lying because I care more about people's opinions of me than I care about God's opinion of me. I think I lie out of insecurity and fear. Or maybe you're a workaholic. Maybe you spend too much time at work and, and, and that's just the symptom. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't be a workaholic. You can change that, but you may not be digging down and really dealing with the fact that you just really fight for control. I'm gonna control my life. I'm gonna provide for my family. I'm going to make things secure. Or maybe you're just that competitive. Maybe you just have to be the best. Maybe you have to be better than your coworker and best stats on the sheet whatever it is. But that's that's the root cause. That competitiveness, that pride, that control. It's not necessarily the workaholic. True repentance goes beyond the symptom and digs at the root cause in our life the fifth thing here. True repentance is not sacrifice and burnt offerings, but it is steadfast love and more of God. Verse 6 ties this up for us, I believe. Sacrifice and burnt offerings are great. We should make sacrifices. We should make offerings. But God is saying that's not the highest thing for him. What he wants is our steadfast love and more of a relationship with him it's not about trying harder it's not about serving more it's not about being good it's not about giving good gifts and you know serving with your talents it's not about these sacrifices that, and offerings that you can make it's about this every moment i'm doing this with you lord what are you saying right now lord i'm sensing this i'm going to make a decision i'm going to submit to you you and me we we are doing this together What do you have for me in every moment that relationship with the Lord you know when we parent our kids we try and make honesty the most important and and care less not that we care less but that we care less about disobedience or bad grades at school or messy rooms or whatever the case is if those things happen you know there's a conversation or maybe a small punishment whatever if there's a lie then the punishment is far worse because we believe honesty is part of relationship without honesty there's you can't have a real relationship and we're fighting for the goal is we don't do this perfectly not even close the goal though is a right relationship with each other and honesty gets in the way of that so if if our kids over the years if they get grounded for a couple weeks they lied about something and we found out they're grounded what they'll do and I see right through it but what they're doing I mean they'll they're perfect I mean they're up right away when you wake them up in the morning and they're putting all their dishes away and they're you know hey dad you need help with this you need help with that I mean one they're probably trying to shorten their duration of their grounding right okay you're doing better they're trying to get it back in good graces I mean they'll even though I see through it they'll say you know do you want me to? clean up the dog poop in the backyard, Dad, and I, even though I see what they're doing, I'm like, well, we have a great day, and so, yeah, go ahead and do that. That, that would be awesome. <laughs> Appreciate it. But I don't want them to do more chores. I don't, I don't want them to try harder to get up when I first ask. I mean, I like those things. What I want from them is authentic relationship. My kids, and that's what God is calling us to here. He does... Sacrifice and burnt offerings are great, but he wants relationship. Doesn't want us to try harder. So I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to respond this morning by just considering these different uh, different parts of true repentance. You know, do you do you tend to focus on sacrifice and burnt offerings rather than steadfast love and more of God? Do you tend to deal with the symptoms rather than attacking the root cause? You tend to tell others what's going on or do you talk to God about it? Do you want to make, meet God halfway and make an exchange or do you want to make a complete change? You struggle with getting, trying to get rid of guilt and pain rather than unity with God. So as, you, as we sit, stand, sing, worship, pray, whatever you've got going on, just consider one of those and what the Lord may be saying to you today and let's respond in that way. On either side of the room, if you would like to be prayed over, prayed with, and you can record your requests at the table, we pray for those this week. Uh, My daughter Cassidy turns 21 today, and it's Groundhog's Day, and I know Jay's daughter also has a birthday today, Kylie, right? Um, Relationships are hard with people and with God. It's just, it can be tough. You know, my relationship with Cassidy hasn't always been great. It hasn't been great with any of my kids all the time. But we keep coming back to the table. We keep fighting. We keep turning towards one another. And then we get to celebrate life together. It's it's the same with our relationship with the Lord. So I'd encourage you to come back to the table. Turn to the Lord because I promise you it's worth it. And let's do it together. We'll see you guys. Thanks.